Man, this morning we are continuing in the book of Acts, and so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Several verses to read to you this morning, so uh, be patient as I read the Word of God in your hearing. It says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it, might, that it may spread no further among the people, Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, 
the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, as we, all of us, sit under the authority of Your Word this morning, we pray that You would move among us, and by the power of the Spirit, You would do that work in our hearts, that You would make us more like our Lord Jesus in every way. We pray, Lord, this morning that we, You would speak and that Your people would hear and that our lives would be transformed. And so we pray and ask all of these blessings in Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever done, done something uh, that was outside of your comfort zone, something that uh, for you was scary, then you may have had someone or someones encourage you in one way or another to be strong, to be courageous, to be bold. Maybe you had to give a speech in front of a large crowd and, and giving speeches terrifies you. Or maybe it was your turn to step up to the plate for your team and you were terrified that you would fail. Or maybe you had to stand for an examination of some sort and you were afraid you wouldn't remember the things you needed to do well. We've all been in circumstances where we were encouraged to be courageous, to be fearless, to be bold. And depending on our personalities, depending on our temperament, our best supporters have known how to say that to us in a way that inspired that courage, that inspired that boldness, that fearlessness in the face of something scary or outside of your comfort zone. Courage, fearlessness, boldness is something we all need at different times to face down challenging circumstances. But in our call to bear witness for Christ in this world, we need a measure of courage. We need a measure of fearlessness. We need a measure of boldness that comes not from digging deep within our own human personality, our, our own human emotions, or our own human psychology, but a boldness that comes from the power of the Spirit of God at work in us. We need a boldness. We need a boldness given by the Spirit to stand and proclaim, to stand and proclaim the truth about Jesus in every circumstance where God calls us out to do so. And we need to be able to do that without fear. And that doesn't come from us. That comes from the Lord. At the end of the verses I just read, you heard this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Do you see it? They were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they were enabled to speak the Word of God with boldness. And while we may have different gifts in the body, the ability to declare the truth about Jesus with courage isn't just a gift given to public speakers. It isn't just a gift given to pastors and teachers and evangelists and the like. Boldness isn't about eloquence. It isn't about book smarts. It isn't about human charisma. Boldness is a courage produced by the Spirit to be able to speak about Jesus when we are called on to do so. It's the ability to sit across the table with someone hurting and tell them 
and tell them that in Jesus there is an answer to their hurt. It, it, it is the ability, it is the ability to sit across the table from that family member who is hostile to the gospel, that family member that is hostile to the gospel and the church, and patiently and lovingly dialogue with them about that hostility and to proclaim the truth of Jesus to them. It is about sitting with classmates who've heard academic arguments against the truth about Christ and patiently and carefully untangling the webs of doubt to give them a clear presentation of who Jesus is. It's about speaking Jesus' version of justice, the justice that brings what is right into spaces where injustice has gained a foothold, foothold, knowing the pushback and the vitriol that you will sometimes experience when you do so. It takes a measure of boldness in all of these circumstances and more to stand and to bear witness to the good news about our Lord Jesus that has come into this world. And I want to impress upon you this morning that boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is not arrogance. It's not a self-righteous flaunting of your own intelligence. It's not putting others down so you can look great. It's not meanness or speaking without concern for the sake of others. Even when we have to say hard things in our proclamation about Jesus, we are commanded to do so out of love and not out of malice. No, the boldness we are speaking about implies confidence and implies courage. It implies fearlessness and standing for what we know to be true, the gospel concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there are some reasons, there are some reasons that we need this boldness that I want to impress upon you this morning to encourage us to seek God for it as we witness for Him in this city, as you witness for Him in your families, as you witness for Him with your neighbors, as you witness for Him with your co-workers. There are some reasons that God calls us to this boldness. So why do we need it? Why do we need it in proclaiming the truth about Jesus in this world? Well, first of all, because the opposition against the proclamation of the gospel is sometimes fierce. <laughs> the opposition against the proclamation of the gospel is sometimes fierce. Jesus once said to His disciples, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come not to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Listen, the gospel saves, but it also divides. The gospel saves, but it also divides. And, and, and it divides not because it is divisive, but because of something else the Bible says. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their own works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. What the apostles, what the apostles were up against as they faced the actions of the folk mentioned in our text, the priest, the captain of the temple, the, the uh, temple guard, the Sadducees, what they were up against were people who loved darkness more than they loved light, the light of God's glory that was shown in Jesus. And the proof is in the pudding, as they say. After, the, after throwing the disciples into prison for healing this lame man, and then hearing Peter's explanation that this was done through Jesus, the one, at, the one whom they had condemned to death, but God had raised from the dead, 
they gathered together for a discussion on the matter. And listen to their deliberations. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For, a, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that this may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they had seen, right, this miracle of God in the healing of this man. They knew that he had truly been made whole. They even called it a notable sign. But what is their conclusion? Man, we got to listen to these boys because they know the way to salvation. That's, that's, that's their response, right? No, what do they say? What they conclude, having seen the work of God, is that they have to put a stop to it. They have to find a way to halt the spread of this gospel that is preached in the name of Jesus. And what appears at least to be one of, part of their motivation is that if Jesus is Lord, we can't be. If, if Jesus is king, if he is the real ruler, if he is the Christ, if he is the Messiah, if, 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 if word gets out about him, people will start to follow him and they will stop following us. I, I, I just want to tell you this morning that not everyone will be happy about the Jesus we preach. The Jesus we preach came to set the captive free. The Jesus we preach has come to bring good news to the poor. The Jesus we preach has come to give sight to the blind. The Jesus we preach has come to set prisoners free. Jesus lifts up people from the bottom and gives them a place of central importance in his kingdom. And not everybody likes that message. Oh, don't, don't mishear me this morning. Don't, 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 don't mishear me this morning. The good news about Jesus is for everybody. Rich, poor, male, female, slave, free, every tribe, every nation. Jesus calls people from among every group to himself. But when he calls you, he says, come, follow me. And where he goes, unfortunately, is not where many of us like to go. He goes to the bottom. And we don't want to be bottom folk because we don't want bottom folk to start believing that, that, that salvation is actually for them as well, that there is hope for them, that they are as valued and as important in the sight of God as we are. Because preaching a Jesus that can restore people to their image-bearing dignity and honor can get you into trouble with those who want to be in control of the world. I know I'm right about it. <laughs> notice, that, notice that the opposition here was aimed at keeping the message about what Jesus had done from spreading. I mean, it's in the text. I just read it to you, right? <laughs> Where they say, we don't want this message about Jesus to spread among the people. And so the prison time and the threats made were designed to keep people 
from believing in Jesus, the one who came to save the lost and to restore them to God and to restore, them to the, to restore the image of God in them. And so the apostles, in proclaiming the gospel about Jesus, they were persecuted. But here's what they didn't do. They did not repay evil for evil. Did you hear me this morning? They did not repay evil for evil. And therein lies the challenge, actually, for us, to preach Jesus boldly without returning the opposition we face against those who oppose us. The apostles preached the truth about Jesus, but they didn't revile when they were reviled. They didn't threaten when they, were su- when they suffered. Rather, as Peter tells us to do in following Christ's example, they continued entrusting themselves to Him who judges justly. In other words, they endured the opposition without repaying evil for evil, and we are called to do the same. Telling people about Jesus will, in fact, get us in trouble at times. But the call is not to give in to anger, to threatening, to violence, to slander, to corrupt speech, to lying. It is enduring whatever trials come our way through the power of the Spirit, trusting God to vindicate us. And this is easier said than done. For when we are opposed, what we want to do is to give in to all those fleshly desires, don't we, that I just mentioned, to fight fire with fire, as they say, to show people that we are not pushovers. But our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It may win us the moment. It may win us praise from our Facebook peers. It may win us praise from our Twitter followers but it doesn't win people to the kingdom, and it doesn't advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. So I want to encourage you as you proclaim Christ and are opposed for it to follow the Lord's own example of enduring the opposition without giving in to evil tactics. Did you hear me this morning? Can I tell you some of the things that, I, that, I, that, that, that trouble me as a pastor? It is listening to Christians spew hatred and vitriol toward each other in matters of disagreement. It is one of the most disappointing things is to see the people of God in the midst of our disagreements not know how to speak with love and compassion, and then to turn toward the world and speak with the same anger and malice and vitriol. And God says, declare the declare boldly the truth about me, but don't get in your own feelings. Don't, don't, don't get inside of your own self and start communicating your You're a mess. <laughs> People need to see me, and they need to hear the truth about me. And sometimes we get in the way with our own anger and our own poor speech. <laughs> Amen, people of God. Father, teach us how to proclaim Christ boldly in the face of opposition, but to do so without turning the opposition toward those who oppose us. Amen, people of God. We, we need to preach the Word of God boldly because, because the opposition will, it will be fierce at times, and we need that courage, that fearlessness, that boldness to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel in the face of that opposition. But we also need to proclaim the good news of, the, uh, of Jesus boldly because people need to hear the gospel. Let me say it again. People need to hear the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. And this point is closely connected to the first. 
The apostles had just done this great deed in the name of Jesus. A man, a man whose, whose image-bearing dignity had been severely hindered by his condition, had been restored by Jesus, restored back into the full freedom of that image-bearing. And there's a lot to unpack in what I just said, but I'll save that for another sermon. But I will say here for now that part of walking alongside uh, persons with disabilities is seeing the image of God in them and working to enable them to participate as fully as is possible with their condition in the life of the community. It's our calling to people of God. But here the disciples had, had just done this great deed. And what do they get for it? What, what do they get for this, this good deed they had just done? They get arrested. They get thrown into prison. I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine doing something genuinely good for another and then being arrested for it. Imagine spending time in jail for standing up for someone who could not stand up for themselves. Imagine having your goods confiscated for such an act. Imagine being threatened for doing so. Imagine being beaten for doing so. Imagine your family's life being threatened for doing so. And now know this, that many Christians throughout history and in many settings have faced this kind of thing for doing good in Jesus' name. The apostles had done a good deed in the name of Jesus. They'd been arrested for it. They would later be threatened should they continue to do good in His name. But right, I want you to watch this, right in the middle of this, we read a verse that encourages us as to why we're called to be bold in proclaiming Jesus in this world. Verse 4, but many of those who heard the Word believed. But many of those who heard the Word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's right. The disciples were arrested for the deed they had done in Jesus' name. And we should note as well that Peter preached boldly to that crowd, right, about that deed and about, about the one in whose name that deed had been done. And what happened? God used that bold work and that bold proclamation of His Son. He used it. He used it to bring others who saw and heard it to faith in Jesus. And you and I need to be bold, and we need to be courageous in proclaiming Jesus in this world, brothers and sisters, because, listen to me, God is at work to rescue people from their sin, to rescue them from death, to rescue them from the opposition of the evil one. He is at work to set people free from the idols of this world, to bring them back to Himself and back into their calling to bear His image in this world. God wants to save people, and He has determined to use our witness, our proclamation of the truth about His Son as it has been delivered to us in His Word to bring people back to Himself. That's right. God uses you. He uses your words spoken about Jesus to others to bring them to Himself. What a, what a privilege and what a calling that sinful you would be used by God to bring others to Himself. And so He calls us to be bold, to be courageous, to be fearless and make it His name known. And let me say this clearly to you. There are some gangbangers 
that God wants to pull out of that lifestyle and draw to Himself. There are some greedy businessmen that God wants to pull out of that lifestyle and bring to Himself. There are some races whom God wants to redeem and change and pull out of that racism to Himself. There are some, some who are addicted to drugs and alcohol whom God wants to pull out of that lifestyle and bring to Himself. There are some sexually immoral persons that God wants to pull out of that evil and bring to Himself. There are men, women, and children across this city and across this globe whom God is calling to Himself, and He has charged His church to speak boldly about Him in this world so that those He is calling may hear His gospel and be saved. The apostles knew the danger of what they were doing. They had just saw what happened to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who was put to death for boldly proclaiming God's kingdom. So they knew the same thing could happen to them, and in fact would happen to them. But, they, but here's the thing. They had also saw what happened to Jesus when He was raised from the dead. And they knew that the same thing would happen to them. They wanted others to know about that hope of the resurrection. And you and I have to want that for others too. We have to want it for them such that we, by the power of the Spirit, when the opportunity is before us, we speak boldly of the one we know can save them. How many of you were honest this morning can actually testify that there have been moments where God has called you to speak and you have been silent? How many of you can testify that you've been sitting with someone who you know is hostile to the gospel, and God has said to you, I want you to speak to them about me. I want you to declare to them my goodness and my love. And you, in that moment, out of fear, were silent. How many of you can testify that you had moments where, 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 where you've been called to say something about Jesus to a family member, and you know that God is actually calling you to say that truth, and yet because of the messiness of all the dynamics of family, you have chosen in that moment to be silent and not speak? How many of you have been standing next to a neighbor who has been speaking something that you know is not true, and God in that moment says to you, I want you to declare my truth to them, and yet instead of speaking, you have been silent? How many of you can testify that that has been you at times. I can testify this morning as the pastor of this church that there have been moments where I should have spoken and I did not. And I want to tell you this morning that God wants to take this, use your mouth to declare His truth to others so that they might be saved. Because listen to me this morning, it ain't about you. Amen, people of God. that many who heard came to faith after the apostles were arrested communicates an important truth to be applied to our preaching of the gospel. It ain't about us. The call to preach Jesus boldly ain't about us proving our intellectual skills. It ain't about us proving our speaking abilities. It ain't about us becoming great in the eyes of people around us. It ain't about us gathering followers to ourselves. It ain't about us advancing our own career goals. Jesus has come to rescue people out of darkness and into the marvelous light of His kingdom. And preaching Jesus boldly means getting out of the way so that people can see Jesus and not me. It means humility. Peter wasn't preaching Peter, he was preaching Jesus. 
And that doesn't mean Peter's personality was engaged, that his way of speaking and thinking and moving and engaging in the crowd was, was absent. It means he wasn't trying to advance himself, to make himself great in the eyes of the people, but to make Jesus great. And indeed, the apostles' opponents, they displayed the opposite. It was all about them showing their power, their muscle, their authority. Humility and proclaiming Christ means not trying to squash people with the weight of my person and my words, but to win them to God and to His kingdom. And that means, that means actually believing that this isn't about you, but that it's about Jesus' name being made known to those around you. So that when God says, speak, you're able to speak because you're not thinking about yourself, but about the name of Jesus being made known. Amen, people of God. One more for you. We're called to be bold because sometimes the opposition is fierce. We're called to be bold because people need to actually hear the good news of the gospel about Jesus. But we're called to be bold because our faith needs to be strengthened corporately. Our faith needs to be strengthened corporately. One of the corporate results that comes from our bold proclamation of the gospel in this world is a strengthened faith. When we declare the Word of God boldly and we see God work in that to bring others to Himself, our own faith is strengthened in the process. Notice in verse 23 that the apostles go back, the text says, to their friends, to the community of believers, and they report, watch this, everything that happened everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And by the way, this has to include all the threats that were made to them. So they go back to the community, to their friends, and they tell them everything that was said, including all of the threats that were made by the chief priests. And we know this for a fact, because the whole group prays, and they pray concerning the threats that were made. But notice the group doesn't express fear at what they were told by the apostles. The text doesn't say that fear came over them all and they decided to be more careful going forward to guard against any future threats or future risk or future opposition. No, the text says they lifted up their voice to God in prayer. And among the things said in that prayer, we find these words, verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Watch this, and grant to your servants to continue to speak with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What? Are these people mad? Didn't they just hear what happened to the apostles? Jail and threats with the promise of more to come if they keep preaching boldly about Jesus and doing these good deeds boldly in His name. You want continued boldness after hearing that? Where is this confidence coming from? Where is this courage in the face of danger coming from? It's coming from the Spirit of God in them, no doubt, but I believe it's also coming from seeing that the Spirit of God worked in the lives of the apostles, enabling them to be bold for Christ in this world even when they were facing threats. Their boldness in Christ inspired the rest of the church to be bold. You see, brothers and sisters, as a body, we are connected, and as such, we have an effect on one another. Your courage in the Lord gives courage to my own heart. When I see you standing for Christ in this world, I'm moved not just by my human emotions, 
but by the Spirit of God to emulate that courage myself when the opportunity comes and vice versa. And when we read the stories of our brothers and sisters down the corridors of history up to the present, we're fortified in our own souls to proclaim the gospel with equal courage. And here's the thing, the same Spirit that was in them is in you. And He was not bold in them and now timid in you. He can give you and will give you the power to speak. And when He does, it will not just be encouragement to your heart, but to others as well who will see the Spirit at work in you and will know that they can do the same. The apostles were not afraid to tell the congregation of God's people everything that had happened to them because they knew the same Spirit that was in them was in every member of the community and that the news wouldn't be a blow to their faith, but rather an encouragement to it because they would recognize that the God who had kept them in the faith of that opposition would also keep the rest of the church in the face of that opposition. And that enabled them to stand and speak the truth, come what may, whatever you do to me, whatever, wherever you, whatever, whatever prison you throw me in, whatever, 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 whatever persecution you want to bring my way, I will tell of the goodness of the Lord because He has saved me. He has changed me. He has transformed me. He has renewed me. He has healed me. He has taken me from the bottom and lifted me up. He has given me hope when I had none. He's given me perspective when I've had none. He's given me courage when I've had none. And so we need to see and hear the stories of God's people proclaiming the good news about Jesus boldly in this world. We need to share those stories of the way we've seen God work through our proclamation of the goodness, the good news about Him, the way it's impacted our own lives. We need to share those stories of God's work among us, to share the experience of seeing God work through our proclamation of His Son to advance His kingdom in this world the testimonies of the saints of seeing God work in spite of obstacles give strength to all of us to continue to proclaim Jesus without fear in our own lives when the opportunity arises. So here's my encouragement, actually. Don't hold on to the ways you are seeking God, the ways you are seeing God work, thinking nobody wants or needs to hear about that. If God has done something to advance the kingdom through you, then you know what you're supposed to do with it? tell it. You're supposed to tell it. Tell it in your small groups. Tell it in your ministry meetings. Tell it to your children. Tell it to your neighbors. Tell it to your family members. You're meant to tell the story of how you are seeing God work because as you tell that story, God uses that by the power of His Spirit to work faith in others, to strengthen their faith in the gospel. And so the apostles came to the whole community they told them everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They told the story. And so I want to say to us this morning, let's tell the stories of God's work among us as we boldly proclaim Christ in this city and in our world. Has God done anything for you? Have you seen Him work? Can you testify that He's used you? 
to proclaim the good news of the gospel? Have you seen people come to faith through your testimony about Christ? Have you seen people's faith encouraged through your testimony about Christ? Has God done anything for you? If he's done something for you, you're supposed to tell it. You're supposed to tell your neighbor. You're supposed to tell those in the congregation of God's people because it's meant to encourage and strengthen our faith because we know that God can and will save. Amen, people of God. So in the, in the world, we're told to be bold, to be fearless in confronting the scary and uncomfortable circumstances of life. But in the Scriptures, we're also told to be bold, but not in ourselves, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God and the spread of His gospel, the gospel concerning His Son and our Lord in this world. And we need this boldness that comes from the Spirit. We need it because the opposition is fierce. It's fierce because people in our communities need to hear the gospel and be saved, and because the demonstration of this boldness and God's work through it gives strength to the whole community of God's people. I'm just reminded of the Apostle Paul who asked the church, pray for me that God would give me boldness in proclaiming the good news of the gospel about him in this world. And it wasn't just the Apostle Paul that needed it. You and I need it as well. Amen, people of God. So just remember these words. I'll actually read them to you from Ephesians as I close. Paul says this, Ephesians 6, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an, am, am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And this is how we ought to speak about Christ as well. Amen, people of God. May God in Christ give us this boldness through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit that you would enable us when the opportunity comes and you give us opportunity. You give us opportunity, Lord, in our families. You give us opportunity with our neighbors. You give us opportunity with our coworkers. You give us opportunities even in the house of God, in the church. You give us opportunities to proclaim the good news of the gospel about you boldly and clearly. And so I pray. I pray for your people this morning that they would have that courage that comes from the Spirit, that when the opportunity comes to speak about Jesus, that they would do so and they would speak about Him clearly, and that they would speak about Him boldly. Father, I pray that the evil one and their own flesh and the world as it has set itself against you, and those places where it's set itself against you, that your people will not be afraid of the opposition that comes, that they would not be afraid, but they would be given the courage by your Spirit to speak your word, because you are at work in this world to draw men and women and children to yourself and you're doing it as we preach and as we demonstrate the gospel in our actions. So I pray, be at work among us and all of us to proclaim the good news about Jesus with boldness. And we pray it in his name. Amen.